Our mission at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. I say that every week because our mission is not changing. We want everybody to know about Christ and what he's done in our place because of our sins. And then to follow Jesus, to live our life for him. With that being said, we're going to begin a brand new series today. Okay, in this series, I've been talking about it for a while. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation. I've been calling this series, I'm going to call this series, I Am Coming Soon, the book of Revelation. And so if you don't know what that means, <coughs> excuse me, um, we're going to be talking about it for several weeks. And how long we're going to be in this book, I don't know, probably most of 2023, if not all of 2023. So if you brought your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be verses 1 through 3 this morning, a message I'm calling the blessings, blessing of the book of Revelation. And so, so I was once told that you can easily understand the Bible if you break it into three parts. The Old Testament, that's Genesis through Malachi, tells us that the king is coming. And then the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tells us that the king is here. And then Acts, all the way through the book of Revelation, tells us that the king is coming back. So the king is coming, the king is here, the king is coming back. That is your Bible. Well, the book of Revelation is the crescendo of God's word that tells us very crystal clear that the king is coming. His name is the great I am, a Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about that for several weeks to come. There is so much scripture that tells us of his first coming. There's also scripture that tells us of his second coming. But what often happens is those, those scriptures are like nearly side by side. It can almost seem like one event in its, itself. But what, with the expanse of time, what we see is that there's two comings. Recently, my family and I, we took a vacation. It was a long drive. And during the way back, we're coming back to Wyoming. There's several mountain ranges. And from a distance, they look like they're almost nearly one in the same mountain range. But by the time you get to the first one, in the subsequent drive in the valley, in between the second, you realize that there is two mountain ranges. And so it is with the coming of Christ. Okay? There's going to be two comings of Christ. Well, the book of Revelation is the vision given to the apostle John that made it very crystal clear about Christ and his return. When it comes to the book of Revelation, really there's, there's two extremes that most churches take when it comes to this book. The first extreme is they won't touch this book with a 10-foot pole. Okay, many churches won't preach, let alone read the book of Revelation because it scares them. Okay, it's a difficult book. And so what they do is they'll skip over the book of Revelation altogether. And I'm going to tell you in a little bit why I don't recommend that approach. And the other extreme that other churches take is that this is the only book they, they preach. That you can come week after week after week, and you're going to hear a message from the book of Revelation. I would say that's a better approach than the first approach, but I, I would say uh, stay away from that approach because churches that do that soon become very cult-like. Okay? Well, we're not going to take that approach. Okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to skip this book, nor are we going to do this every single week for, forever. We Probably most of the weeks this year. But we're going to hit this book head on. And I'm going to explain my beliefs and to the best of my ability, share all the beliefs of different topics and issues within this book. But if you disagree with my beliefs and how I interpret this, you have the right to be wrong. Okay, there we go. That was, I was wondering if someone's going to laugh at that. Okay. But there are some aspects of this book that, let's just be quite frank, they're tough to understand. 
It's so difficult to, to, to really grasp this book. But one thing I think, that if you hold your interpretation of the book of Revelation so tightly that you won't even consider someone else's views, well, then I think we tend to lose what we're trying to learn, what God's trying to te- teach us in this book. One thing this helps to learn or to, to, to consider is that this book, the book of Revelation, is apocalyptic. Okay, that's the genre that this book is written in. So it is telling us of a future event to come. And so the Apostle John, he's seen some things that are absolutely unimaginable to him. He's pinning, writing down what he saw nearly 1,900 years ago. And I think how we can see with the expanse of time, how now this would be some tough, tough things for us to understand. One other thing I want to mention to us, that this book that we're studying is the book of Revelation. Okay, not the book of Revelations. There's only one revelation that's given to John. And so that's why this book is called the book of Revelation. So with that, let's go ahead and let's jump in beginning in Revelation 1.1, beginning first, first verse. The word of God says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So John starts off right off the bat, tells us very plainly, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation is the word apoptolictus in Greek, okay? And so why do I say that the book of Revelation is apocalyptic in nature? Well, because that's exactly what John says. So what John is saying is that, that there's this unveiling that's coming, that something that was veiled is going to be unveiled. So John's kind of like letting us peek under the sheet, so to speak. John wrote this letter while he's exiled on the, on the island of Patmos, and he's writing this letter right around 90 A.D., But since over 1,900 years has passed, what we tend to do is we we tend to think this no longer applies. Or we tend to think what was said is forgotten. Or maybe the one that said this has changed his mind. But let me remind you of the true author of this text. The true author of this text is God. And God does not forget. Nor does God go back on his promises. So I assure you, that what is said in this book is going to happen even though 19 centuries have passed. So here's a question. Why are we going to study this? Why are we going to devote so much time at this church to studying one book of the Bible? Why is this important? I'll tell you why. Because we just got done celebrating Christmas. And Christmas is the time that we celebrate the baby in the manger. Well, the baby in the manger, he grew up to be the Savior on the cross. And the Savior on the cross, he died and he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And the book of Revelation (coughs) is telling us very clearly that he's coming back as a king to rule his kingdom. You see, the first time Jesus came, he came as a priest to grant us access to God. But when he comes the second time, he's coming as a king that's going to rule his kingdom. So Jesus is both priest and king. How can Jesus be both priest and king? I'll tell you. There's two comings. And this whole book, most of the New Testament is telling this too, but the whole book of Revelation is telling us that Jesus is coming back to judge the world. 
And so many people have this idea of Jesus that he's this peasant, skinny-looking guy with a lamb around his neck, and he just loves, loves, loves. It's a big love fest with Jesus, and Jesus is loving. But don't forget that he's also a king, and he's coming back to judge the world of its sin. The devil has convinced so many people, don't read, don't study, don't just leave this book alone. Because they don't, because the devil doesn't want us to know what is coming. Read verse 3 again of Revelation chapter 1. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for time is near. We are told that this vision that John is writing down is going to bless anybody who reads it. Well, the word blessed is the word marikos in the Greek. It means happy. John is saying you're going to be happy if you read the book of Revelation and you heed what it's telling us. Why is that? Because you're going to know how the, everything ends in the end times. Like I said earlier, a couple weeks ago, our family and I, we took a very long drive. And we were in California. We had to come back from Wyoming, into Wyoming, and the weather was terrible. Well, if you don't know this, there's these things on our phone called apps. Like, yeah, Pastor, we know that. But there's a, an amazing one called Wyoming 511. And with a click, I can just, I just touch my phone, and all of a sudden, I can know every open road in, in the entire state of Wyoming. I know conditions of every road, which ones are closed, which ones are open. And because of that app, my family and I, were able to very long and very painfully weave our way through Wyoming and make it all the way home. In a similar way, this whole world is coming up on some terrible weather. There's some awful weather. There's going to be roads that lead to destruction. But there's one road that's always open. His name is Jesus. And the book of Revelation is going to tell us what this is all going to look like. Imagine how people traveled 50 years ago. People would just jump in their car, hope and pray. Maybe they made a phone call for somebody near where they're going. Hey, what the roads look like. But that approach led people to get stuck on the road in the middle of nowhere, fighting for their lives. I bet if they had a book that was written that was going to tell you about every open road, the conditions of those roads, that we would have those books memorized so we could travel over the state and not get stuck, right? Well, getting stuck in hell for all eternity is far worse than any any road trip you've ever taken. I mean, what if there was a book that predicted the stock market? And it was right with 100% accuracy. I bet every single one of us, we'd have a copy of that book and we'd have that book memorized. Why? Because wealth is important to us. Well, where you're going to spend eternity is so much more important than any amount of money. But people, they say they don't read this book. They don't read this letter because they say, well, prophecy scares them. But yet many of those same people are the people that will go to a palm reader and, and pay somebody amounts of money to read the lines in their hands and tell them what, what's coming in their future. Don't do that. That's a scam. Okay, those people are just taking your money. Or maybe somebody will call a psychic hotline and for $3 a minute, someone's going to tell you what's in your future. I'll tell you what's in your future for free. You're going to be $3 poor a minute for every minute you stay on the phone with those people. You know, it's weird. There's there's so many very famous psychics that die an untimely death. I thought they would have saw that coming, wouldn't you, right? Or maybe they buy magazines like the National Enquirer. 
I remember growing up, my grandma had to go buy her paper. I didn't know that it was, it was this fake thing. But I actually had to get online. Do they still, still sell that thing? Turns out they do because people still want to know what's coming in the future. Well, let me tell you something. This paper, this paper is 100% accurate 100% of the time. And so I would suggest that we all subscribe to it. Uh, now, I've got to be honest. There's some stuff in this paper that's tough to wrap your mind around. Okay, There's stuff about a war that's going to end all wars called the War of Armageddon. <clears throat> and there's this, this talk talking about hey, we're going to see a visible return of Christ to this earth where he's riding a white horse. And he has his sharp sword coming out of his mouth in which he strikes the nations. I mean, this is difficult to really understand, right? And we're going to hear about 144,000 uh, Jewish male virgins going all over the world preaching the gospel. And then we're going to hear about this guy called Antichrist. He's convinced the entire world that he's something that he's not. And even though this is a difficult book, I'm going to encourage you to read it and to study it. And to come to some conclusions what you think it says. But again, I, I want to encourage you, don't get so deep in the weeds. This is the only thing you think about. Because again, there's so many Christians, every single Sunday, they're coming to church and they're going to hear a book on the book of Revelation, or hear a message on the book of Revelation. But still, you need to read it. You need to know it. You need to come to a conclusion of what it says about the time and, the, and what's going to happen around Christ coming back. But don't be that guy that picks a date. Don't, don't be that guy. Because we are not on the Savior search committee dictating his time and arrival and how it's going to come down. We're supposed to be on the welcoming committee that's ready, that's watching, that's ready to welcome Christ when he returns. But I pray for this church and, and all of you that after a deep dive over several weeks, that really what's going to happen is we're going to learn to trust our Savior like never before. Because one thing we need to recognize is that God is right 100% of the time. He's right 10 out of 10 times. In the game of baseball, if you're wrong 7 out of 10 times over the course of a, of a career, you're going to find yourself in the Baseball Hall of Fame. But God, he's been right 10 out of 10 times over the course of all of history. And so this should give us all the confidence in the world to read this, to study this, and to know what is coming. <clears throat> read uh, verse 1 again. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. So we know this isn't up for debate because God very plainly told us here that this is a prophecy given to John by Jesus. And again, this, this prophecy has some weird stuff in it. We're going to be reading about bowls and lampstands and scrolls and all sorts of things. And we're going to see the number seven over and over and over again. The, the number seven is the number of totality. It is the number of completion. So like there's seven days in a week, there's seven notes on a scale. So what this is saying is that we have the complete and final revelation from God. That after the book of Revelation, that's it. No more. Anything that comes after it is an addition to, and, and we should not consider it the word of God. So when Muhammad wrote what he wrote in 632 AD, or when Joseph Smith wrote what he wrote in 1828, it's not the word of God. It's an addition to what God has already said. And let me give you a little spoiler alert in the coming weeks. 
There's going to be times you're going to feel like a ball lost in high weeds. That's okay, because this is a tough book. But this is what I will say to that. Don't stop reading just because there's something you don't understand. Keep reading and mine out those nuggets that you do understand. But this is a tough book. There's probably going to be times where you think, hey, why didn't Jesus just say to John, hey, hey, John, I got something to tell you. I want to tell you something I'm going to say to seven churches. I want to say what they got right and what they got wrong. And after that, I'm going to rapture the church. And then after I do that, it's going to seem like hell on earth, not for one year, but for seven years. And there's, there's going to be these people that are trying to go all over the world and kill my chosen people. And at the end of seven years, I'm coming back to, to slap the tar out of all those people and then basically make a terrible situation amazing. And it's going to almost be like the Garden of Eden, but even better. I mean, when I think about it, why didn't Jesus just tell John that? Man, that's so simple. I guess that's one thing you can ask Jesus when you see him. I choose not to ask all the why questions. I'm just glad he told us it all, right? But that's one thing we do know for absolutely certain. He did tell us. And he's telling us how it's all going to go down in the end. <coughs> Here's one thing that I, I think we need to recognize about the book of Revelation. This should really bring us a lot of comfort. There are 404 verses in this book. 360 of those verses are either direct quotes or, or um, illustration allusions to the Old Testament. So an Old Testament Jew should be in love with the book of Revelation because 89% of the book of Revelation should look very familiar to an Old Testament Jew. And so what that should do is bring us comfort. You know, it was back in Genesis chapter 3 when God said to Satan and her offspring, he, we now know that's Jesus, shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. And the book of Revelation, we're seeing how that all plays out in the end. There's another reason that, that God uh, made this book a little confusing. Because he's using symbolism. And symbolism is difficult to understand. But here's the thing, the, the, the strength of symbolism. It's not weakened over time. Because symbolism, it transcends every language, every culture, and every people group. One thing that this book tells us is that Jesus is for all people. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Jesus is for everybody. Years ago, I was on a mission trip to Bogota, Colombia. And there was a man from India in Bogota, Colombia, who was Sikh. He spoke perfect Spanish and English. But anyways, I was having a conversation with, with him. And he told me, he said, the, one, the only reason you're a Christian is because your parents were Christian and you were born in a Western country that preaches a Western religion. But that's not true. First off, growing up, neither one of my parents were Christian. They are now, but they weren't then. And also, Christianity is not a Western religion. The founder of this religion was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and murdered in Jerusalem. The truth is, it is a Near Eastern religion that's for the whole world. But here's a huge reason that symbolism is used so heavily in the book of Revelation. Because once you know it, you can't forget it. It's going to be stuck in your brain forever. If I say the golden arches, some of you are thinking about McDonald's. Some of you are thinking about, man, that Big Mac would go good for lunch right now. I wish preacher would wrap it up so we can get to lunch. If I say uh, the Red Cross, you're going to be thinking of medical providers, 
right? Because symbolism, is t- it tends to stick in your thinking and is something you're never going to forget. I remember I was a little boy. I'm a little bitty guy. And in our hometown, there was a carpet store that had a, its, it's um, sign had a big genie. And the genie was holding a, a roll of carpet over its head. And it was called Carpeteria. And I'm like maybe three years old. I'm in the backseat of my car. We're driving down the street. And I looked out the window and I said, Carpeteria. My mom thought she had a little savant on her hand. Oh, my boy can read. I couldn't read. I just knew a genie with a carpet over his head was carpeteria. Let me prove one more reason why symbolism is so awesome. Okay. Um, My family's here. And after service, every single Sunday, you know what's going to happen, right? We're going to go home. We're going to have lunch. I'm going to ask them a question. I'm going to say, what did you learn in in the message today? And because they know what's coming... They pay a little better attention, but every single week, they don't tell me about the scripture. They don't tell me about the points I make. What do they tell me? One of the sermon, one of the stories, the sermon illustrations I use, right? So it is with the book of Revelation. Jesus uses lots of symbols so that once we learn it, hopefully it's something we will never forget. Hopefully years from now, you're going to be, remember about a woman that is drunk with the blood of those who bore testimony of Jesus. We're going to read about that when we get to Revelation chapter 17. I mean, it's graphic. And it's graphic, so it's something you'll never forget. So Jesus starts right out, letting us know something is about to happen. Read again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show to his servant the things that must soon take place. Must soon take place. Well, don't miss the fact that this was written over 1,900 years ago. Was God wrong when he said 1,900 years ago is soon going to take place? No. The word soon is the Greek word tekos. It means swiftly. Okay, what Jesus is saying is there's going to be something that's going to trigger this event. Something's going to kick off and there's going to be a cascading avalanche like of effect of events. Spoiler alert, it's the rapture. Once that happens, it's going to be event after event after event. If you're still here on this earth, it's like you're not going to be able to catch your breath. Don't miss the rapture. That's the takeaway from that. Does everyone remember covid like, well, that's a dumb question. Yeah, we remember COVID. We were here. It was terrible, right? Do you remember what kicked that off? Well, I remember I was watching the news source that I prefer, that one. And uh, this reports came that there's these people in China that are eating bats. And they contracted this virus. And now that virus is going to spread and we're all going to die. And then I remember, the very first thing I remember is that then President Trump shut down flights coming in from China to the United States. And I remember going, uh-oh. And then it was event after event after event. I'm like, I can't even, I can't even breathe. There's so much coming on me, right? So it is with the book of Revelation. Something's going to happen. And then it's going to be so fast, so many events, so awful, so terrible, way bigger, way worse for way longer in one year. Let me tell you, it's going to be seven years. There's that year, that, that seven again. And you're not going to be hard to keep your head up. Again, don't miss the first event, which is the rapture. Keep reading in the, the Revelation chapter 1 second half it says he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john so this book that we're going to be studying for the most of this year the book of revelation came from god the father to god the son to an angel and then then to john that's how it was passed down so it's the apostle john 
He is, at this time, he is writing this down on the island of Patmos. Church legend says that a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian ordered the John to be boiled in oil. He wanted a little deep fried John. And since he wouldn't die, he has him exiled to islands of Patmos. This is the same John, (coughs) excuse me, that wrote the gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so now the book of Revelation makes the fifth book in our New Testament written by this author. And John was called the beloved. He was one of Jesus' very best friends. He's always numbered in the inner circle of who's closest to Jesus. It's always Peter, James, and John in the Gospels. Well, he's a fisherman by trade. And like I said earlier, his brother is James. And they're both the, the sons of this couple named Zebedee and Salome. And John is also one of the sons of thunder. I just love that nickname that Jesus gives James and John. He calls them the sons of thunder. It's a really cool sounding nickname. It's derogatory, really. He's calling them a bunch of hotheads. But anyways, I just love the sons of thunder. But because John, he's so closest to Jesus, he had this intimacy that, with Christ that the other disciples didn't have. And when John writes his gospel, he refers to himself as the beloved. Not because he was more loved than any of the others. But he's really trying, it's a mark of humility. He's trying not even to mention his own name. But it was John at the Passover meal, just hours before Jesus to be murdered. He, he, he reclined his head on the, the chest of Christ as they enjoyed that last meal together. It was John, he was the only disciple that was brave enough to be at the crucifixion as, cross, as Christ was dying for the sins of the world. It was John that heard with his own ears Jesus say, I thirst, showing his humanity. And then soldiers mockingly gave him sour wine on a sponge. And it was John that heard him say, it is finished. And John writes this letter as he's trapped on this island prison. At one time, John is the the pastor at, at the church of Ephesus. Patmos and Ephesus are only 12 miles apart as a crow flies. I have to think very clearly, if, if John looked to the, to the east, he could probably see the shoreline of the city, of the church where he used to pastor. And how long was John at Patmos? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I have to believe there was times in his life where he felt abandoned by God. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you're abandoned by God? I bet you have because all of us at one point or another in our Christian life, we feel like God has abandoned us, but we're wrong. He hasn't abandoned us. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. But maybe for someone here, the book of Revelation should be that reminder that during our greatest time of isolation should be a time when we are the closest to God. What if Jesus would have said to John, Hey, John. You're never going to suffer. Things are going to be awesome. And you're going to tell people about me. And no one's going to persecute you. And it's just going to be sunshine and lollipops your whole life. If that was the case, I don't think I could identify with John. Because that's not been my Christian life, right? There's been times in my life where it seems so sweet. Like nearly my head is on the, the chest of my Savior. And other times it feels like I'm on the island of Patmos. But I bet if you're being honest, you would say the same thing. 
The Christian life is not one where we experience the very presence of God every second of every day. I wish it was, but that's not the case. Because it's those seasons of Patmos where we long for the return of Christ. If every day was just reclining your head on the chest of Christ, we'd want this life to never end. And we'd never want our Savior to return. But there's days where I'm just so sick of Patmos. I'm so sick and tired of this life. I just long, I pray for Christ's return. I can't wait to see my king coming on a white horse to my rescue. And maybe some of you where I'm at right now, longing for the return of Christ. Now I'm calling this message the blessings of the blessing of the book of Revelation. I want to read verse 3 and, and make just a couple conclusions based off that verse. Read verse 3 of Revelation chapter 1. John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and, <coughs> excuse me, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. How many books have you ever read that had a promise like that? One. It's the book of Revelation. This is the only one. And the more you read it, the more blessed, the more happy you're going to be. Why? Because the more you study it, the more you learn, the more you're going to understand the plan of Jesus and what's going to happen before he comes back. And that's going to make you happy. And so what we're going to do this year, we're going to read this book together, every single word, line by line, verse by verse. And over the course of several months, I challenge you to see if you're not happier, you know, five, six, seven, eight months from now than you are today. And then what we're going to do, to the best of our ability, we're going to try to apply what we read in this book. So many churches just read the Bible, they fill their heads with empty facts, but they never allow the, the Bible to penetrate their heart and actually change their lifestyle. That's the point. I recently heard a pastor saying a sermon. He said, quote, what you believe to be true about God dictates the way you live your life. Think about that. You know what? I think he's absolutely right. Because if you believe that God's okay with fornication, then you're going to be a fornicator. And if you believe that God is okay with lying, cheating, and stealing, then you're going to be a person who lies, cheats, and steals. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is God... And he's coming back as the king of kings and lord of lords to judge the whole world. You're going to live your life quite a bit differently than the lie, cheat, and steal guy, right? We all make choices in, the, in the, the, how to live our life in the light of eternity or to live our life in the light of what is temporary. You know, I, we, we should choose to live our life as if Christ could return at any moment you know, and if we read this book, if we apply this book, and then John says, because Jesus said, it's going to make you happy. And because of my job, I've had to spend a lot of time in, in retirement homes with some people that are in some terrible situations, awful situations. And then there's some people that despite it being in some terrible circumstances, they're still happy. What makes them so happy? Maybe it's strong sedatives. Maybe. Um, it's the Bible. The people that know the Bible, they're the happiest. Why? Because some of the happiest people, despite being in some terrible circumstances, are happy because they know that the best day on, in this life is going to be absolutely nothing compared to the worst day in the next life. You know, 
And let me say, I don't really care which version of the Bible you prefer to read. There, there's a couple that are not the Bible. Uh, New World Translation, that's not the Bible. That is one guy editing the Bible to say what he wanted to say. Also, the Passion Translation, if you don't know what that is, good for you. If you have a copy, please file it in your heretical book section because it's not the Bible. I prefer the ESV, but if you prefer the New American Standard, or the New International, New Living, New King James, or even the regular old King Jimmy, God bless you. Some people prefer the message. That's probably last on my list, but I'd rather you read that than nothing at all. And some people are such staunch believers, you have to have an actual copy of the Bible that, that you can't have a digital copy. I don't think that's the case. Now, I would, I would if you want to read a, a, a book God bless you. If you want to read on your phone or tablet, well, God bless you too. I have to believe that John would think a phone is pretty cool, that you can just click and and go back from this book to that book. Because after all, he's writing on a scroll of parchment. To be able to jump from book to book to book, that would probably blow John's mind. And I don't know if you know this, but our phones, they will actually read the Bible to us. I mean, think about how amazing is that? Back in the day, that something was reserved for kings to have somebody read the Bible to you. Now it's a click and our phones do it for us. I mean, really, we have no excuse whatsoever for not reading our Bibles. So here's the first point of application when it comes to the book of Revelation, okay? Here it is. Read your Bible. That's about as simple as an application you can get. Some people, oh, the book of Revelation is so hard to understand. I think that's pretty simple, right? Read the Bible. Let me give you a little preview of what we're going to be studying in the coming weeks, and then maybe I'll try to close out this message. Read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds and with every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Very clearly talking about the the, the crucifixion. And the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So right here, John is introducing the central theme character of the entire book, the capstone of who Revelation's about. It's Jesus I don't understand how someone can be a member of a cult that claims they read the Bible, but then claims Jesus is not God. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And he's coming in the clouds and every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. That's Israel. Years ago, I was in a Bible study and there was a there was a guy in that, that study that has some very different beliefs about Christ than most of us do here. And he said in that Bible study, I'll never forget, he says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run up to Jesus. I'm going to grab him by the neck and put him in a headlock and just scream, woohoo! I don't see that in Scripture. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Read verse 17. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. As though dead. 
But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. I believe the only proper response is to respond like John. To fall at his feet. How close will we be to those feet? I don't know. Can we touch them? Are the inches away or the yards away? I don't know. But I think we will be able to see the nail holes that held the feet of our Savior as he hung on the cross for our sins. Fall at his feet and worship him as God. Give him your life. He is the creator God that died for all of mankind. By mankind, I mean you and I mean me. The major reoccurring theme of the book of Revelation is that Jesus is God, and he's coming again soon. My question is, are you ready for his return? Do you know him as your savior? See, before you can know him as a savior, first you have to know that you're a sinner, and your sin separates you from God and from me from God. But he loved us so much, he came and he did the impossible. He paid our price for our sin. He paid for what we did on the cross. The Bible has the most beautiful promise anywhere in literature. It says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on Jesus to save you? If you've not, I beg you to, to cry out to say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I give you my life. Save me my sins. And I say this name of Jesus Christ. Amen.